autoimmune, if we take that word apart, it means auto means to itself and immune means allergic. So allergic to yourself, which I think is an oxymoron because again, evolution says, "Mm, nay, nay, if you were allergic to yourself, you would have died out a long time ago. So really what autoimmune is, is inflammation that's being triggered by something that doctors are not able to identify. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. You know, it's estimated that over 50 million Americans suffer with at least one autoimmune condition. And multiple sclerosis is one of those many autoimmune conditions. And my guest today has intimate knowledge of multiple sclerosis and the impact that has on someone's life. So I would like to introduce today Elizabeth Yarnell. She is a traditional naturopath, and she was diagnosed in 1999 with multiple sclerosis. And she's been studying how to manage autoimmunity naturally as a traditional naturopath and certified LEAP therapist. She's worked with hundreds of MS and other autoimmune sufferers in her nationwide clinic using unique personalized natural therapies to empower them to reclaim their health. She's a TEDx speaker, award-winning author whose cookbook has sold more than 60,000 copies. She's a patented inventor and has been featured on CBS, NBC, ABC, and PBS in Good Housekeeping, Health, Martha Short Living Radio, and many other outlets. So today, please welcome Elizabeth Yarnell to This Functional Life. Elizabeth, so I want, would love for you to share your story. Kind of how did you get here? So Betty, you know, everything was going normal in my life or normally, I should say, until one night when I went to sleep as usual and I awoke the next morning blind in my right eye. Mm-hmm. And in short order, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that was when I learned that 80% of MS patients experience significant disability within 10 years of diagnosis. So this was about two weeks before my 30th birthday. And I was learning that by my 40th birthday, I was going to might be in a wheelchair. So that's really what was my impetus for starting to, to educate myself about what is health and how to achieve and maintain health. Oh my gosh. Well, that had to have been just frightening to wake up and not be able to see out of one eye. Absolutely terrifying, especially because At that time, one of my hats was as a freelance journalist. And in fact, that night, I had been working on an article about cross-country skiing for the Denver Post. And I was working late, as was my norm. And I finished my article, finished the draft, and I printed it out and did a quick read-through. And I thought, okay, I see three points in here. I'm going to finish them tomorrow when I wake up. But when I woke up the next morning, I couldn't even read the paper I had printed the draft out on. And not only that, when I was able to kind of decipher it by moving my head so I could see with my other eye, I could not locate where I had seen those three edits. And after 
stressing about it all day, I had to finally just turn it into my editor, which I knew was substandard work because I knew knew there were edits in there, but I couldn't find them any longer. Needless to say, that was my last article for the Denver Post. <laughs> they never oh my gosh. me again. Oh my gosh. But I was very scared that what was I going to do? My whole living, my whole life was reading and writing. And to not be able to read or have reading comprehension really was the key. So that led you down your professional route. Tell me about that because you're a traditional naturopath and certified LEAP therapist. So obviously, you went on your own journey. I did. I started taking classes. I started diving into what is the connection between what we eat and how we feel. And really, it was my then fiance, now my husband of 20 some years. He was a serious athlete. He was sixth in the world snowshoeing that year. He said, you know, I really think maybe it has something to do with with what you eat. And I looked at him and I had to admit that my eating, my diet was terrible. And in fact, the whole decade of my 20s, I lived on my own in my own apartment. And my only staple foods that I kept in my apartment were Crystal Light, Diet Coke, and gummy bears. Oh my, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe not such a huge surprise that at the end of that decade, my body would start to fail on me. Exactly. I looked this up before we were going to talk today, but it's an epidemic, right? So there's estimated about 50 million Americans have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And if we look at MS, at least in 2010, there was assumed to be about 309 cases per 100,000 people. In 2017, it went up to 363 per 100,000 people, which equates to about 914,000 adults with MS, which is more than double what it was estimated in 1975. So what do you think is really driving this radical increase in diagnosis, particularly in MS, but obviously autoimmunity? Well, you know, MS didn't exist before the Industrial Revolution. Really, the first known cases of MS were were diagnosed after autopsy, of course, because they had to cut up in the brain and look. But that was around like 1890, 1870, something like that. So this is really an industrial disease. I believe that MS and other autoimmune conditions as well are really caused by all of the toxins that are in our world now. Our, our food supply is contaminated, our air is contaminated, our water is contaminated. Our bodies evolved on this planet to process the foods that grew on this planet and to thrive with them. But things like petroleum, which come from two miles below the surface, nature never foresaw. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's just mind-boggling. And, and truly, whether it's MS, room, you know, rheumatological disorders, lupus, Crohn's colitis, they were all basically unheard of, even at the turn of the century. You know, you see some mention of particularly rheumatoid-like symptoms and things like that, but it was just not very prevalent. But as we've gone through multiple world wars and just radically increased that chemical load, it's just our bodies were never made to be that kind of a chemistry lab. I think it's just And we have moved our our diet from eating foods that are coming directly from the ground and that we are harvesting ourselves to packaged foods. And really, you know, so many things in these packaged foods, especially in the United States, have never been tested for safety. And nobody is looking out for that. The FDA, it's not their job, they don't think to watch out for the safety of the American consumer. Their job, and it is spelled out in their charter, 
is to improve the profits of American agricultural businesses. Yeah, which is at our own healthcare and health of our population's expense, which is just crazy. It is, right. Buyer beware. Definitely. Tell me, so why do you think this time of life is so important to sort of finally address your health? For women like us, I'm going to call this midlife, more or less. In fact, yesterday was my birthday. I just turned 53. And thank you. (laughs) Um, This is the time when we finally can take a breath. We have been working on our careers. We've been having babies, building families. Everything has been about everybody else and holding everybody else together. And now maybe that our kids are starting to go off to school or to leave the nest and, or at least be a little bit more independent, don't need us to carpool them everywhere. We can start to take a breath and say, you know, I've been really pushing this aside and and pushing through it and and making life wonderful for everyone around me. But I've been feeling like crap for many years. And it's now time to focus on myself, especially before things get worse. Right, right. You know, I was reading some statistics and actually women contribute as, as a population. The greatest contributions women make, whether it is writing the best novel or you know, being involved in political movements or national movements or just becoming, I think, who women were meant to be, most of those contributions happen in this kind of next season of life, the midlife, right? And so I think it's a unique time for women to be able to say, oh, wow, you know, what is it I want to do, be, and have in my life now? You know, just like you alluded to. Exactly. In the nomadic times, This was when women became really the elders of the tribe, the wise crone, the medicine woman. They were revered for their knowledge and what they could offer. And they didn't, they weren't burdened by pumping out babies every year or so. And all of that, that takes out of your body and your energy levels and everything that you have to focus on the survival of the next generation that we're creating. And at this point, that's already done in many ways and, and physically. There's no more babies coming out and we can think about other things, which is really in so many ways freeing and wonderful, a wonderful time for us to be able to explore us as midlife women to be able to explore and and realize our potential. Absolutely. So we know that obviously autoimmune conditions have a strong inflammatory component. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you know inflammation is causing problems? What are the things that show up for you that you're like, okay, here's your, here's your list of things you need to be looking for? We should remember that inflammation is the root of most, if not all, symptoms. So really, it's all about inflammation. So autoimmune, if we take that word apart, it means auto means to itself and immune means allergic. So allergic to it are yourself, which I think is an oxymoron because again, evolution says, mm, nay, nay, if you were allergic to yourself, you would have died out a long time ago. So really what autoimmune is, is inflammation that's being triggered by something that doctors are not able to identify. Dr. Alessia Fasano, who's really the father of celiac disease and one of my personal heroes, he and his team believe that there are three factors common to most, if not all, autoimmune conditions. And the first thing they say is a genetic predisposition toward being hypersensitive. So if I look in my family tree, I can see, yeah, you know what? My mom had migraines and IBS and my aunt has 
fibromyalgia and my uncle actually passed from scleroderma. And there are chronic issues all over my family tree for sure. Although I will say, and this is going to be a little foreshadowing to what we're going to talk about in a little bit here, that I think parasites can supplant that. They can take the place of that predisposition, that genetic predisposition. The second factor that Dr. Fasano thinks is common to most, if not all, autoimmune conditions is environmental triggers. So just like celiac patients, once they identify that wheat and gluten is their problem and they stay away from it, they can live a pretty much normal life. And it's the same, I think, with all autoimmune conditions. We just have to identify what the triggers are. And so far, our medical community has not been looking in the right place. And then the third factor that Dr. Fasano says is common to most, if not all autoimmune conditions, is a leaky gut. So he and his team have done thousands of bowel biopsies that have shown that when there is chronic inflammation in the body, there is always inflammation in the digestive tract. And that contributes to the inflammation between the cells and the allowing of undigested food particles to slip through, but also incomplete digestion because white blood cells get so hyper excited and sensitized that they start reacting to everything and start misidentifying the food that's coming into the stomach and calling for the incorrect enzymatic formulas to achieve complete digestion. And when you don't have complete digestion, you don't have assimilation and absorption of your nutrients. And then you start getting deficiencies and the body will rob Peter to pay Paul for many, many years, but eventually that will come home to roost and you'll have other issues. Right, right. And I think people forget or or are not really aware that most of the things that we call symptoms, right, the or conditions even like high cholesterol even, or your immune system going awry, is the body trying to address something right here, right now, that it perceives is more critical than whenever the long-term risk of this aberrant inflammatory response may be. And that it's not that your body's doing something wrong, it's doing something right for right now that may result in an end product that is wrong. You're absolutely right. We have to recognize that these conditions like high blood pressure, things like that, that's the body desperately trying to right itself for survival. And it's not something we should artificially tamp down. We should look at it and recognize and try to figure out, well, what is the root problem here so that we can address and bring the body back into balance? Exactly. So, you know, you you mentioned sort of leaky gut, and I know you probably have heard this from your clients all over the world, that they'll talk to a traditional gastroenterologist or an internal medicine doctor, and they'll say leaky guts made up. What would you say to that? I would say, turn to him and say, what about intestinal permeability, if you want it in a medical terminology? And that is very real. And that has been proven over and over through bowel biopsies done by medical teams, not by myself. I don't do those things, but that is an absolute condition for sure. And we call it leaky gut colloquially, but it is intestinal permeability. Right, right. And I think, you know, it's important to know that not just autoimmunity has that, diabetes has that, hypertension has that, cardiovascular disease. So intestinal permeability is at play in every game. In our model, that means we've got to start with the gut, right? We got to start with the gut. And even like going back to diabetes, diabetes is all about the gut, right? It's about the release of insulin appropriately into the body. And that has everything to do with the gut. It always surprises me when doctors disconnect 
oh, it doesn't matter what you eat to how your body is functioning. Well, how could it not matter? This is the fuel for our body. Three times a day, at least, I'm putting things into my body like this. And of course, it matters. It all matters. What you put on your body matters. What you breathe matters. What you're smelling matters. All of these are molecules. And all of those molecules can provide those environmental triggers that Dr. Fazana was talking about. Okay, so that that brings me to just a good general question. And I think this gets confused, you know, but what, do you, what would you say is the best anti-inflammatory diet? In my work, I really focus on conducting very, very highly sophisticated food sensitivity testing. And I use a test called the MRT, the mediator release test, which is not antibody-based. It is mediator-based. Medi- the most famous mediator we all know is histamine. So in my clinic, when I work with clients, we customize their anti-inflammatory diet. In general, it's hard to say, well, everybody should do this and, and nobody should eat that because it's, it's unique for every person. And even something like gluten, I just received a test result back yesterday from a client for a client and she's not reactive at all to wheat. That's not her problem. So that's not the universal thing. I, I hate restricting food groups unnecessarily for large portions of the population. But what I do feel comfortable saying is that we should read labels and avoid chemicals, additives, and preservatives as much as possible. If listeners would like to go to multiplesclerosisdiet.com, they can download my list of top three items people with MS or other autoimmune conditions should never eat. Oh, fantastic. That's awesome. I'm glad you brought up the mediators. I'd love to talk about that because, you know, it wasn't until COVID that anybody understood, you know, antibodies, <laughs> cytokines, chemokines. So tell people kind of the difference between your antibody testing and what like mediator release testing might be, because it is, it is confused, I think. And I'm sure people have a lot of just issues around trying to understand how that really works. They do. And in fact, I just saw on a listserv a question the other day about that saying, well, you know, I heard that food sensitivity tests just show what you have been eating recently. Well, those might be antibody food sensitivity tests, which are not helpful really, I think at all, because again, with COVID and the vaccine, we know now that the reason that we should do the vaccine or something like it is to create those antibodies to COVID in order to protect us from getting COVID or when we get it, it will be less severe. So if I do a food sensitivity test and it says I have antibodies to mangoes, well, shouldn't that mean that I'm protected from mangoes? But that's not how people are using these antibody tests. So mediators like histamine, they are released by the white blood cells every time those white blood cells identify something they see as a threat. Now, traditionally, or I should say foundationally, white blood cells are primed to look for bacteria and viruses. And when they find those, they have pretty good defenses for those. They can release these antibodies, which go and they handcuff themselves to the bacterias and allow them to be killed and swept away out the lymphatic system. They can provide heat, which is not healthy for viruses, don't like heat. So fevers, that that kills viruses. But that's not what is happening here because the white blood cells 
are releasing these mediators to cause the inflammatory response in the body without the presence of bacteria, without the presence of a virus. And they're becoming hypersensitized sometimes to things that should be absolutely fine and normal. For instance, for me, one of my most reactive foods is lettuce. When I eat lettuce, my body manifests in multiple sclerosis symptoms. Wow. People think, oh, it's got to be a grain or it's got to be a a legume or it's got to be a nut. It, it, it may not be. It could be one of the healthiest foods on the planet is going to show up as inflammatory to you. Right. So that's why I don't like to have people who just go willy-nilly, start restricting entire food groups. I'm going to go paleo. I'm going to go leg- no legumes and no grains and then oh, more and more and more. And they restrict themselves down to almost nothing that they can eat. But oftentimes, those final things that they've restricted themselves to are the things that we find they're really inflammatory for. And nobody guessed that. Like lettuce. Right. Who would have guessed lettuce? I agree with you. I am not somebody that kind of blanket statements take these foods out for everybody. And my goal is to try and fix what's going on, whether it's the intestinal permeability and all these other things, to hopefully broaden the food choices back out. Because one yes. sure way to make you more reactive to foods is start narrowing your diet radically to foods. Yes. And it weakens you on top of it, right? Because you don't have any resources to fight anything off. You know, it brings to the bigger question that when we look at, you know, whether it's obviously environmental inputs and other things, the biggest question we have is how is it we've lost tolerance to the things that we would normally come in contact with and eat and do? And it's, again, I think falling back to all those chemicals in our environment and the exposures that we're getting that we were never designed to have, because that's ultimately the problem. It's the loss of tolerance to self and stuff that we should be exposed to. That is the problem, the loss of tolerance. And I think this is actually might be a good place for us to start talking about parasites, because I think that they very much contribute to it and are under-recognized as uh, the factor in health, as I think that they are in developed countries like our own. I agree with you, because I think people think, oh, well, I haven't been to a third world country that doesn't have decent sanitation, so therefore I can't have parasites. And, you know, truthfully on the planet, we have co-evolved with parasites and we've had exposure to parasites our entire lifetime for millennia, but that means that they're still on the planet. Oh, they're there. Let's not be mistaken. There's probably millions of parasites that we haven't even identified because some of them are so small, submicroscopic, like Chagas, for example, which is a parasite that's found in South America. And you can only identify Chagas in a lab. There are only two labs in the United States that even test for Chagas because it's a blood test. And that blood has to be prepared in a certain medium on the slide and put under a certain power of microscopic intensification in order to even see this parasite. So talk about a parasite that is easy to miss. Nobody's even looking for it. Right. So tell me, so How would somebody maybe know that they could have, obviously, parasites, right? Because everybody thinks of the sort of classic thing. I think everybody's probably like, oh, no, they're going to start talking about going to the bathroom and poop. But (laughs) but there's other stuff, right? What are other things that people could be looking for? Well, certainly, oftentimes, the acute phase. So parasites have basically two phases, or parasitic infestation has two phases. The first phase is the acute phase. That's when you were infected. And that's where one day you were fine and the next day you weren't. And sometimes that can look like, oh, I had food poisoning or a 24-hour stomach bug, or I was traveling and I got diarrhea and maybe it lasted for a couple of weeks or something. 
never really resolved. But then the parasite or the body settles into the chronic phase because the goal of a parasite is not to kill the host. The host, the parasite wants the host to live, but the body has to figure out how to live with the parasite because our own defenses can't kill it. And unfortunately, the white blood cells continually see the foreign invader. And so they get into this chronic, continual rotation of inflammatory response, and you end up having inflammation over and over in your body. So some of the signs I see with parasites, definitely fatigue, nausea could be um, for my husband. He always vomits. I never vomit. Some people are pukers. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> my son gets migraines from parasites. They can cause just a decrease in vitality, which you might not even notice because you're in this chronic phase. But when you get rid of them, you might notice an amazing increase in athletic performance and overall health and wellness and feeling good. I always feel like every time I come out of a parasite protocol, I feel like all of a sudden there's been like a veil that's lifted and, and the world is in like color chrome now. It's so much more vibrant. The colors are more saturated. Everything's just more alive when I get rid of those buggers. And parasites have a consciousness too, so they can affect how the host acts and behaves. Uh, we definitely know that from animal studies, you know, so yeah, all the way from a tapeworm to the smallest little, you know, protozoa in your bloodstream, they can influence a lot of things. <laughs> they really can, not to mention your health. And so they can keep you not only underweight, but they can keep you overweight too, because excessive weight carrying excessive weight on your body is now being looked at as actually excessive inflammation. And because the parasites are there, the inflammatory response is happening over and over. You can be kept at a chronically inflamed state through no fault of your own, not because of what you're eating, but because you're infected. And the CDC says seven out of 10 adults are carrying parasites. Yeah. And I think it just gets missed because our traditional medical systems like, look, unless you're like, in the bathroom dying, you couldn't possibly have a parasite because they're thinking of those very classic sort of intestinal worms and things like that. Right. And not only that, but parasite testing is notorious for false negatives. So yeah, if you get, if you do a stool test and you're, it comes up positive for a bugger, great. You know, hundred percent, there's no false positive, but if it comes up negative 50, 50 chance, you still got one. Well, and again, like you said, some of them are going to be in the bloodstream, which means they wouldn't even be present in the stool to begin with. You right. know? And so we don't have a good avenue in which to test in the US to really confirm everything that might be circulating in other body fluids and other tissues. Exactly. Because parasites can be in your brain, they can be in your heart, they can be in your liver, they can be in your lungs, they can be in your muscles, in your bloodstream, really anywhere. Exactly. Now, do you think that had a lot to do with your own experience with? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I can count no fewer than six or seven times that I know I was infected with parasites over the course of my life, beginning when I was seven or eight years old and in the Middle East, and we swam in Angedi, which is a spring above the Dead Sea. And whew, we all got parasites from that one. So that was my first one. But I've gotten parasites from hiking in the Rocky Mountains. I've gotten them from traveling. Once I got them from a train station in Sofia, Bulgaria, I've gotten them from the Dominican Republic, because we were boiling our water and obviously not doing a very good job of it yeah. in the rural part of the country where I was living for the summer. Most recently, my husband, or not most recently, but one of my most significant times, right before my MS diagnosis, in fact, 
then fiance and I were traveling in Asia and we had been on a two-week horseback trip across the Eastern Tibetan Plateau camping out with the horses, which was amazing. And during that whole time, we were fine. First of all, 14,000 feet, there's not a lot of parasites at 14,000 feet. But when we came, descended back down off the plateau, we all met, there were about 15 of us, we met for a dinner at a four-star restaurant in Shendu, China, a very big city, a very beautiful you know, cosmopolitan restaurant. We had a huge feast. But by midnight, 12 out of the 15 of us were worshiping the porcelain gods. And mm. by the time I got home and sent my stool sample in, it made its way to the CDC and they picked up the phone and called me because they had found five parasites in my stool. Those are the ones they found. Right. Um, <laughs> so sometimes they can find them in your stool <laughs> very easily. But uh, that was a good two months before I got my MS diagnosis. And in the interim of that two months, I had dropped a good 15 pounds probably and was fainting randomly in different places. Knew I was in bad shape. I knew I was feeling terrible. You know, which brings up a good point. Like you had this like light bulb moment, like something is not right here, but you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be that extreme. And I think the interesting thing is like, you've obviously been an international traveler. And I think, you know, knowing that probably predominantly this rate this podcast is listened to by Americans, but people from everywhere, that Americans always think, oh, I need to hurry home and then go see somebody. And I know having traveled in other countries, it's better to get tested while you're there because they probably have better awareness of what they have available as far as parasites within that particular region. You know, they'll report it back to the CDC, but that doesn't, you don't necessarily want to come back here in the US because we have such a myopic view of infections. Right. And you're right sometimes, but again, no, no country has great testing for parasites. But if you're in India, there's a much higher chance that some doctor there is going to say, you know, we should treat you for parasites because they're so common. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I know that you have a gift for our listeners. Could you tell them that gift? I do. And this gift has to do with my cookbook, which is about cooking quick, easy, and healthy meals out of whole foods. So it's a way to help you get all those additives and preservatives out of your food supply and still make dinner convenient and healthy and quick in eating. So the cookbook is called Glorious One Pot Meals. And the free gift is the ultimate checklist for stocking your freezer and pantry for making quick and easy, healthy meals any night of the week. And you can get that at glorious, G-L-O-R-I-O-U-S, one O-N-E, potmeals.com. Awesome. You know, I think that the biggest challenge, as you very well know, is when people start to go down this road, you really have to become a cook. You can't just do home delivery meals because those foods, even if they look like they're healthy, they really aren't. And I think having a, you know, a cookbook like that, that has something you could do very easily, one pot and done is just, it's a game changer. You know, you just cannot get healthy if you don't do some cooking. The foundation for health is what we're eating. And you can get so far in helping yourself feel better and moving along in your own health journey, just simply by focusing on whole foods rather than processed foods. And that's why this cookbook helps. And actually, I'll tell you a secret. Not that much of a secret, but I received a patent for this cooking process. So this is unlike any other cookbook you've already owned or that you've ever used before. Oh, awesome. So everybody go out and get the cookbook. You need it. You need it. If you care about your health, you need this cookbook. 
and definitely look up Elizabeth Yarnell and check her out and also look back at her other freebie that she gave you earlier in the conversation. So you can check that out as well. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on This Functional Life. Hey, Betty, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on as a guest. And I look forward to interacting and connecting with anybody who's listening out there. Please feel free to visit my website at elizabethyarnell.com. And at the bottom of every page, there is a link where you can book a complimentary naturopathic health assessment if that's something that you're interested in. Yay. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for joining me on This Functional Life. Thank you so much for tuning into This Functional Life. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.